Thank you for coming back again tonight. It's always nice to have you here. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, looking at a few verses. I do have two sheets, just extra sheets to hand out to you. Uh, one is uh, something I've referred to before. And you don't have to agree with this, but this is the idea here, and I, would, I could take time to explain it, but you can figure it out. But the geology layers, they've dated the ages of the layers of the earth uh, as if things have always been like they are. But if there was a universal flood in Noah's day, you know, say the earth was created, you know, uh, 6,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago by divine intervention, and then, you know, sometime around 5,000 B.C., you know, or something, there was this, the opening of the springs that just flooded the earth, uh, you would have laid down in the fountains of the deep burst forth, and it would have just took all the ocean life and all those animals from the bottom of the ocean floor and just washed them up on the earth, these tsunamis of waves of, of, of the earth being destroyed except Noah and the eight people on the ark. It would have laid down the animal life just like this, uh, and then the waters would have started receding, and you'd have layers of not rock, but sediment that would eventually turn into rock and so when you look at it today ah it must be millions of years or it could be a universal explosion of the fountains of the deep bursting forth the the uh, plates of the earth opening up continents sinking everything you know continents breaking apart you know they think that the earth used to many people think the earth used to be one land mass but again now i'm way beyond my pay grade but again the point there is there is room, if with this idea, there is room to go back and consider it may not be as old as we date it because you're, you're dating it based on what fossils you find there, but your, your fossils are dated by what layer they're in, but it's circular reasoning. And also, well, the, the, the earth, the universe is, it has to be millions of years old for the light to get to the earth, you know, for the light to travel at the speed of light, it must have been traveling for millions of years unless... You've got these two problems in Genesis, not problems, but everybody asks it. Uh, God says, let there be light, day one, and then day four, he puts the sun in the sky. It's like, whoa, well, the, we're, we're the light and then the sun, it's like, this is not, no one ever thought this story out, unless God creates this mass right here, and then as it says, even Psalms and other places, he stretched out the heavens. And in, on day four, he's now stretching out and putting the sun in its place and stretches it out. Well, all the light was right here, just moments old, just, you know, you know, an hour old, two hours old, you know, a day old. And then at one point, he stretches it out in creation and puts it so far away. Well, the, the millions of years of traveling was him stretching it out. And now it looks like it's been traveling for millions of years. So again, with that in mind, it, I, I, I'm not trying to override science, obviously, and I, I don't even have that ability, but do not let people present things uh, from a very, very shallow understanding. They think they're wise. Thinking to be wise, they became fools. Because if you guys say, well, the earth is millions and millions of years old, and everything is just randomly happening, well, that's, that could be, but the chance of that happening are just, it's insurmountable. The, the, the odds of just rolling the dice and things happening, even your, your thoughts, your, your ability to be a person and, 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 and come to you know, be a rational thinker, it's just 
chemicals. It's like, well, no, no, no. I can explain my ability to reason more based on the idea that I'm created in the image of an intelligent creator more than I'm just like the random effects of chaos. And now with the random effect of chaos, I've got the ability to analyze everything wisely. It's like, well, you're just a... You're, 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 there's no rhyme or reason for you, so why would I even pay attention to your thoughts? Your thoughts are empty. Nonetheless, that, that's way more than I wanted to share. I just thought that was, I referred to that once in a while. And I also saw this. Uh, we talked about, uh, there's the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who wrote these? And I, I think, you know, I think Matthew wrote it. Mark wrote Mark. I think he's recording Peter's account. Uh, Luke, of course, he identifies himself and writes the book of Luke. And John, but there's something I'd, I would love to go over this and make this point, make it look like I'm the smart one. Just read these bullet points to you. But there's clues in there. Uh, if Matthew wrote, and I think Matthew did, but like Matthew, the tax collector, he mentions Jesus. He's the only one that mentions Jesus paying temple tax. He's the one that uh, is paying attention to the parable of the vineyard and the workers and their wages. The only gospel account to give the, uh, the payment to Judas for the 30 piece of silver uh, and he, he alone reports the money paid to the guards of the temple's tomb. Uh, and unlike the other Gospels, Matthew uh, it specifies do not acquire gold, silver, or copper, where the others just say money. So it just looks like Matthew is a little more in tune to the financial issues, being a tax collector. Uh, now you can drop down to Luke. Luke, who was a physician, Luke's account describes uh, the two births. Uh, both Jesus and John the Baptist's birth. Uh, he, he identifies the severity of Peter's mother-in-law's fever. Uh, he also identifies, uh, he kind of defends a physician when he couldn't heal the woman. He's more of a defense of the physician. Uh, and Luke alone, a Gentile, records the infant Jesus' circumcision on the eighth day. And no one else, Matthew, Mark, and John, don't record that because... Well, it's obvious. You don't record it because it's obvious. Luke is like, oh, let's get some details on it, but, but he's a Gentile. And then, of course, um, Mark and, and John, you can see reasons there, too, that I could go over those. Um, uh, John, of course, has a lot to do with fish and, and cooking fish and different details. Okay, that's just something interesting, and it kind of leads into what we've been doing here. Mark, of course, is uh, the Gospel of Mark, written by mark but it's peter's account that he puts together we are in chapter 14 last time we were together uh we uh talked about uh jesus being in uh bethany at staying at the house of simon the leper uh he is staying outside of jerusalem on the mount of olives uh same town that Mary and Martha and Lazarus live in, we are going to assume that Simon the leper was a wealthy individual, had room for Jesus and the apostles to stay. Again, this is Passover week, so there's a lot of people, that pilgrims that have come to town. Uh, I'll give you the numbers here in a minute. Josephus records that in 66 AD, it'd be the, right before the Jewish wars broke out, uh, it was the same year the temple was officially completed, that Herod began... Uh, it's now finalized. I mean, a lot of details had gone into it. It had been functioning this whole time, but it was like completed. Uh, and it was destroyed four years later. Um, that there was two and a half million people in the city at that time. Uh, 
in 66 AD. But nonetheless, it's a lot of activity. A lot of a crowd of people are there. And pilgrims are staying wherever they can. Sometimes they're just camping on the Mount of Olives. Others are staying in house. And the very fact that Jesus has a house to stay in in Bethany at Simon the leper, along with his disciples, uh, that he's in someone's house, a residence, probably pretty nice, and not just camping out, sleeping in the dirt somewhere, has to rattle some people's image of Jesus, you know, the poor Messiah that just wandered around aimlessly like a hippie, a homeless person. He's actually moving, we're going to see tonight, he's moving in circles of people that have have influence. Um, And so that's what we saw in chapter 14. I'll begin to read that right here, chapter 14, verse 1. Uh, Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. This is Mark chapter 14. Uh, And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him, but not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. Now, right there, that's their plan. They're not going to kill Jesus. They just let things ride low, get through the, the holidays, and then we'll go get Jesus. Little do they know, Jesus is in complete control. We're going to see it, especially in tonight's verses. Jesus is in control of this entire situation. And anyone who comes against Jesus is only going to be coming alongside and working the plan. You can attack him, but you cannot affect him. Judas is going to attack him, but you're just going to play into the plan and you be destroyed in your own way. Uh, And again, throughout chapter 14, there's going to be several times where Jesus' arrest is going to come up and his betrayal. While he was in Bethany reclining at a table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, if you're really interested in the poor, you're just using them as a cover, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And in in just a few days, many people will be pouring out ointments on Jesus' body since his body is, is being prepared for burial. Verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, maybe having been triggered by that event, one of the twelve went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. Now remember, they're going to wait, but Judas kind of instigates this and kind of moves it up on the calendar. Uh, went to the chief priest to tr- betray Jesus. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So now he's looking for a chance to hand Jesus over. And unbelievably, it's going to happen during these events uh, of this very, very busy week. We're talking, in our, be- our culture, the best thing would be Christmas and New Year's. I mean, during Christmas and New Year's, no one's on schedule. No one's at the right place. Everyone's off, out of sync. No one's at work. Nothing's, uh, run, you, know, the, 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 you know, the dump truck, not dump trucks, the garbage trucks aren't running right. Not, the, everything's messed up. Uh, but that's where this is all going to come down. And they're trying to avoid that, but it's all going to come down to this. So here, cha- tonight's verses, chapter 14, verses 12 through 16. 
On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, it's interesting. They're asking him, Where do you want us to go to make preparations for not us, but for you? In other words, they're kind of making arrangements for Jesus. They'll assume they're going to be with him. But he is the master of ceremonies. Where are you going to want to eat this Passover meal? What do we need to do? Now, several things for this. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and I've got the notes written here. Uh, this can get bogged down uh, uh, very quickly, uh, and I'll try to be uh, easy on it. Uh, the month is the month of Nisan. Uh, and the Nisan, the 14th, is the day they sacrifice the Passover lamb. They're going to sacrifice the Passover lamb on Nisan the 14th. Now, uh, the day ends when the sun sets. So sun sets. Now this, again, besides trying to figure all this out, you've got to do completely reframe your thinking on the beginning and end of the day. For example, the sun is setting now. So this is the end of... Monday, right? Today's Monday. I'm retired, so it's like, I don't know. Monday, and in just a few moments, Tuesday begins in, in this world. You know, our Tuesday doesn't begin until, well, it doesn't begin for me until I get out of bed uh, the next day. But, so, you can be sacrificing the Passover lamb, and the Passover lamb would be sacrificed in the afternoon of this day. But, it's going to be eaten between sunset and midnight of this, what we would say, same Thursday or same day, except this now is once the sun sets, it becomes Nissan the 15th. So you'd sacrifice the Passover lamb, but eat this Passover meal in the evening, which is actually the beginning of the 15th. So this is Passover. Now, I've got here this little calendar i've had i've got a little something i created put on my website and uh, fortunately i found it these are all the feasts of the lord from leviticus 23 so you can look at all of those but don't worry about all of them look at the first one you've actually got three feasts nissen the 14th is passover nissen the 15th begins uh, a, an event, a, ser- a series of days, it can be as many as eight days, is unleavened, L-E-A-V-E-N-E-D, unleavened bread, and we can say this is going to go on for, we'll just say, eight days, and then during this whole time, this is Passover, right here, then unleavened bread begins on Nissan the 15th, but then first fruits. Now understand, Passover and unleavened bread go back to the Exodus. They put the, the Passover lamb was killed. They put the blood on the door, the doorpost, doorpost, and the, the door frame, the header. And then they, because they're in a rush to get out of Egypt, they didn't take their bread. They just took the bread without letting the yeast rise. It was unleavened bread. They just took it and went. And so the Passover lamb is the exodus, and the unleavened bread is the rush to get out. But first fruits is an agricultural yearly celebration. It has nothing to do, in, in a sense, with the Passover. 
but the first fruits is celebrated on the first day of the week after Passover. So the first day of the week is always, in our world, Monday. But, the, but not on our calendars. The first day of the week on our calendars is Sunday. Because the last day of the week is the Sabbath, Saturday. And so the, the week ends on Saturday, and the first day of the week begins on Sunday. But Constantine came in 325 and says, you know what? That's the day the Lord was resurrected. It's now a weekly holiday. We are going to take Sunday off. Back in the day, Bible days, they had a one-day weekend. Constantine says, we're going to have a two-day weekend. And once you give people a couple days off, you're never going to get it back. But now we have a two-day weekend, and now we're pushing for three-day weekends. But nonetheless, uh, so when they say the first day of the week, they're talking Sunday. Now, that, that could be a movable date because depends on what day this is it's the first day of the week after passover very quickly the way i'm going to present this and there's debate with this i mean we're talking 24 hours of different we're not talking like years or days or events uh this is thursday when uh jesus says go prepare go get something ready because when the sun sets now it's Friday, but it's in the evening of Thursday in our world. And then they're going to have this meal on, we would say, Thursday evening, but it's actually Friday the 15th. You understand what I'm saying? It gets confusing. And then the sun is going to come up, and it's going to be Friday morning, and Jesus is going to end up being on the cross on this Friday. Nothing happens on Saturday for obvious reasons, because Saturday is the Sabbath. They don't do anything on the Saturday. But the first day of the week after Passover is going to be Sunday. And that just happens to be a holiday of the first fruits where they go off and they cut part of their crop, the early parts of the crop, and wave it before the Lord as, a, as an offering that He'll now bless the rest of the crop. And that's what you see right there at the very beginning. Uh, in Nissan, you've got Passover unleavened bread and first fruits and this would be nissan the 14th would be the passover nissan the 15th begins the eight days or seven eight days it depends on how you count it of the unleavened bread feast but then coming in the midst of that depending on where it's at first fruits is going to come somewhere in there depending on the year i know think of a holiday where it's like what holiday you never know when it ends uh well, like Easter, in our case, is always on a Sunday, but Christmas could be on any day of the week. It's on the 25th. And so this could be, in a sense, it's going to always be the first day of the week, a Sunday, but it's always going to come after Passover. So with that little bit, then the rest of these, you can look at them and study, but we don't need to know those as far as what's going on. Now, um, if this makes sense, that's great. Now, some questions about this is... If the Passover lamb is going to, if, if Jesus is eating the Passover meal, they will have to have their lamb sacrificed on the Temple Mount, wrapped up and then brought and, and cooked by the disciples so they can eat it this evening, uh, which would be the first day of unleavened bread. And so actually, the Passover 
is a separate holiday than unleavened bread. But one of the reasons we're looking at this is, looking on page one of your notes, and on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, the disciples said to him, well, now wait a minute. The first day of unleavened bread is this day right here. The day they sacrificed the lamb is on this day right here. But they began to, it was Josephus does it and other writers do it. It's like the holidays. It's the first day of, well, of the unleavened bread feast, which really begins at sunset or here, but it's the day they sacrifice the pasture lamb, which technically that's not correct. But we're talking about hours and you're talking about families and celebrations and you're going from one day into the next day. Uh, it's just when you pa- the Passover lamb is the beginning of unleavened bread. So technically it's like, well, that's a mistake. It's not, that's the way they talked about it. Even Josephus and others recorded that way. So on the first day of unleavened bread, uh, we're going to say, I'm going to say that's Thursday, right? Here, the 14th. And they're sacrificing the Passover. But Mark is saying, I mean, there's so much here, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Now, that could be uh, talking about the Jewish nation or the priests when they do it because there was, there was sometimes a, an earlier date, like a, a few hours before, where they would have another Passover. They begin the, the sacrifice of the animals to you know, move up. They had like an additional day in it. Or... Some would say this could actually be even a Wednesday because Jesus could be following a different calendar, like some of the, the priests are following this calendar, but some people have moved it up a day to get everything done. Or Jesus is going to start a new Passover on Wednesday, and the, the Jews will be celebrating their Passover the next day, so they could be having this meal on Wednesday night. Uh, which would be the beginning of the 14th, and this in the 14th. So there is room for a Wednesday if you want to start working with it. John, the Gospel of John complicates things because John doesn't exactly mesh with everything that's being said here. Again, not, not like to the place where it's wrong. It's just a matter of like, okay, how do you figure this out? And then you're going to have the issue, if you want to make a big deal about it, Jesus said, I'll be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, which if you do 24 plus 24 is 48 plus 24 is 72 hours, you're going to need 72 hours in the grave. Uh, And you don't have that from him going to the grave right before sunset on Friday and coming out of the grave uh, at sunrise, apparently, or maybe a few hours before sunrise uh, on, on Sunday, you don't have 72 hours. Now you do have parts of three days you would have friday before the sun set because he's got to be in the tomb before the sun sets because otherwise uh they'll be unclean so when he's dead it's like let's get him in the tomb quickly and get home because when the sun sets it's the sabbath we can't do anything so he dies on friday day one then on saturday that's an easy count day two and then early Sunday morning, he's, he's up uh, out of the grave. Or you could say Sunday would have started when the sun set on Saturday. So you've got one, two, three. It's not a full, but it's, you can, it, it's not, it, it's three. Uh, 
and then you got three days and three nights. Was it really three days and three nights? So there's nothing wrong with a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He dies on Friday, is resurrected on Sunday. But if you push this back to a Wednesday, you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, resurrection Sunday. You've got one, two, three days. Some people are more comfortable with that, and so they do a little more math working on how that all works out. So the situations are uh, Jesus is probably following their, the Jewish tradition, Nisan the 14th, which is Thursday, then the 15th, which would be Friday. Of course, it begins when the sun sets right here. So they'll be eating the meal. They'll be eating right here on Thursday night, but it's actually, you know, uh, you know the beginning of the 15th. They're going to sacrifice the, sacrifice the lamb here. And then Saturday is the 16th. And Sunday would be the 17th, if we're going to do that. And so that's your days right there. Nissan 14, the sacrifice, the unleavened feast begins on the 15th. We're in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but this is the first fruits because it's the first day of the week, the first first day of the week after the Passover, if that makes sense. And it's a big deal because if you can find a discrepancy in all of this, you can discredit, oh, the Bible's all made up. But if you can find clickety-clickety-click, it's all historically accurate, especially recorded by Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and they're telling it at different times to different people uh, and writing it different, you know, in, from 90 A.D. and writing in 45 A.D. or whatever, and they're all telling the same story. You've got a true witness. And, of course, I think it's accurate. Uh, we maybe are sometimes missing some of the information. Uh, so that's basically what is being said right there. I'm going to read that verse again. And on the first day of unleavened bread, that'd be Thursday, which is actually not the first day of unleavened bread. It's the day of the Passover sacrifice. But there describes that first day of when they sacrifice the Passover lamb. So it's described as the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrifice the Passover. So they're counting this as the first day of this unleavened bread feast. He, Jesus, said to his disciples, where are... Excuse me. His disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, there's several things here that take place. If I flip the page over here, I, I want to just start shooting them off at you, but I want to make sure I. Uh, point two uh, Jesus and his disciples are staying at Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. Why don't they eat there? That must be a nice house. They had the, the pouring out of the perfume. They had a, already had a party there the other night. Why don't they just stay there and have the Passover there? Because, and we'll look at the verses, you've got to be in Deuteronomy, it's point four there, Deuteronomy 16, verse five through eight, you've got to be in Jerusalem. You've got to sell it, you've got to eat the, the lamb in the city of the place chosen by God. So you've got to be in, they had to be in the walls of Jerusalem to eat the Passover. And that's in the uh, point two at the top there, uh, page two. The Passover meal had to be eaten that day between sundown and midnight or the first hours of Nissan. So right here, the, that has to be eating. The, you sacrifice it probably in the afternoon on Thursday. Then you can eat it any time after sunset and midnight. It's got to be eaten between that time period. And that's why they're going to be eating in, in the evening. It's going to be dark, and they're going to have to be a long meal. Then they're going to go out, and they're going to be done by midnight, and go out and pray on the Garden of Gethsemane right here in this area, right in here somewhere. Uh, and it's going to be 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning uh, of this Friday morning, and Jesus will be up all night. So 
that is what they're doing. They have to eat it between before midnight, and they can't eat it until after the sun sets. Um, uh, no, okay, point three, the normal work had stopped at noon on this day. So it's a holiday. I mean, it's, it's like Iowa State-Iowa game. It's like nobody's on the roads, everybody's at home. So it's all, or Christmas, either way. Uh, normal work had stopped. The Passover meal had to be eaten within the walls of the city, point four. There would have to be a meal arranged inside the walls of Jerusalem for Jesus and his disciples to come to from Bethany. Uh, so they're going to have to find a house. They're going to have to find a place. They can't, they, you're going to have to rent a place. You're going to have to find an open room. Uh, the custom was for Jews during this time period, during this feast, during the Passover, if you had an open room, you'd be welcoming someone coming from, there. people coming from all around Israel, that they could celebrate their meal in another room that you'd, you'd be willing to offer it for them. And that's what they're asking, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go eat this meal? We've got to go find a place. Um, here in Deuteronomy, it's interesting that they are following the directions given in Deuteronomy uh, 16, verse 5 through 8. Now realize, that would be at the end of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So if they, it'd be like 1405. If they left in 1445, 40 years in the wilderness is 1405. They have not, they're still over in Ammon. They have not crossed over in, across the Jordan into Israel. They haven't crossed over and met Jericho yet. So they're still outside the land. They haven't even entered the land yet. 1405. Uh, David hasn't taken the city of Jerusalem. That'd be like one, you know, 1050 or something like that. Uh, maybe 1,000 B.C., let's say 1,000 B.C. Uh, and Solomon hadn't built the temple in Jerusalem yet, which would be like, you know, 975, 950 B.C. So they haven't even entered the land, found the city, or built the temple yet. These, they still don't understand these things. But the word was in Deuteronomy 16, you may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And that's going to be Mount Moriah, the temple on Mount Moriah, to make his name dwell in it. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset. So that's why they're, they're doing it in the afternoon, after, afternoon, and they're moving towards the evening and they had thousands of lambs they had to kill on the Temple Mount and sprinkle some blood on the and, and just keep this moving. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how many lambs they sacrificed on Passover. Uh, in the evening at sunset, at the time you came out of Egypt, meaning that, you know, they're re remembering that's why they're eating in the evening because they came out in the evening and they left at night. And you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And the idea there originally would be that they're eating it in the temple courts, you know, several hundreds of Jews. But by this time, there's millions of Jews. They had to expand, and they had to be inside the walls of that place, Jerusalem. For six days, you shall eat unleavened bread. That's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember, they had they were on the move, not time for the yeast to rise. And on the seventh day, there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. Now, that's in Deuteronomy 1405 B.C., before Joshua takes land, before David becomes king, before Solomon builds a temple, before the Babylonian captivity. I mean, we're talking, God is telling what he wants them to do. Okay, uh, point five. Josephus records that in the year 66 A.D., 
there were 255,600 Passover lambs slaughtered on, in the temple. 255,000, and that would have been on the afternoon. It's not like they're going to get a head start, you know, and freeze them. You know, they're, they've got, they're just, bah, bah, just moving them through, and they're bringing them up, bah, bah, and then walking out with the body wrapped up and, and going home to cook it because they all have to eat it before midnight that night. And you had to eat it with a minimum of 10 people. I mean, you couldn't just have your own little private, you know, Passover. Minimum of 10 people. And so each lamb would feed 10 people. And so that's where Josephus gets the number. There were 2,500,000 people in Jerusalem on that 66 AD Passover. Now, Josephus, uh, many people say, the scholars say he exaggerates numbers. um, And it, it kind of looks like he does. Uh, he's still telling the story, but sometimes his numbers get inflated. Um, possibly because he's writing in Rome after Jerusalem has fallen, and he's writing between 74 and 94 AD, writing the Jewish wars, or the Roman, yeah, the Jewish wars, and then writing the history of the Jews, the antiquities. Uh, and so he's maybe trying to impress, his audience isn't Jews. His audience is not the Jewish people. He's writing for the Romans. He's trying to communicate to the Romans the Jewish culture, and we're glad he did. Um, so nonetheless, it's, you may not say that that's too many people, but yet the point is it's an unbelievable amount of people there, especially consider, imagine slaughtering 255,000 lambs this afternoon. Uh, I mean, the priests had to be just exhausted. Okay, that's the... That's the that's the day that Jesus is sending his disciples, go find a place, go find a place. Um, and point six, three times in these verses, the word preparation occurs. Okay, chapter 14, verse 13. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar will meet you. Follow him. So they say, where do you want us to prepare? And again, for you to eat. They're not saying us to eat. They're specifically saying you, you are important. You're the master of ceremony. Where do you want to eat? We're, we're going to all follow you. And he says, go, here it is. He says to his disciples, two of them, again, he sent out two disciples, sent them all out two by two originally to go out throughout the land of Israel. He sent two disciples to go get the donkey. Now he sends two disciples to do this. If you go to Luke chapter 22, verse 8, it says, So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. So we're, we can say the two disciples, Mark doesn't say that, but it is Peter, the source of the book of Mark. He, so Peter would be the one telling Mark and everyone his story. And John, who would be the youngest disciple, who's going to live until 98 AD. Uh, so you've got two of the key disciples right there going off to prepare. And Jesus tells them, go into the city. Now you know the city. Uh, we've got maps. Here is, uh, we're going to say Mount Moriah up here like this. Here's the eastern wall. comes down on the ridge. Here's the southern end right here. The Dung Gate is right down here. Then the western wall, by this time, the western, not the western wall, but the western hill has been rebuilt up like this and comes around something like that. That's, that's a rough drawing. Here's the temple. Here's the temple mount right there. Uh, this would be... Uh, the Central Valley goes this way. The Kidron Valley goes this way. The Hinnom Valley comes down and around like this. This was the expanded part of the city. This was the wealthy part of the city. 
the priests lived up here. Because there's, there's the original ridge of the city, a valley, and then there's a western hill. That, that's the suburbs. This is where, and they've excavated this. It matches the Bible description, but they've excavated This is where the priests lived. They found very nice homes with their own mikvahs in there, uh, multiple level dwellings. Uh, this is where Jesus is going to celebrate. That's where he's going to end up on, well, well, we'll talk about it. He's going to end up here in this part of the city. Now, you're going to notice Jesus has this whole thing already prepared. Now, there's, there's, I think there's going to be two things in play here. Uh, obviously, the divine preparation, he knows exactly what's going to happen. He's not out of control in any of these situations. He's plotting it all, probably from eternity past, and now he's just going to act it out. But I think there's also going to be, in the logical sense of it, there's going to be uh, the natural planning also that he's making contact with certain people. So you don't have to go mystical, magical, that Jesus just like, you know, zombied out, just, oh, just, you know, he knows because he's God. Okay, he's not zombied out, but he means, but he is God. He knows from eternity past what's going to happen, and he is still God, even in the story, so he knows. But I think he's also got contacts, and he's made already made, or in fact, you're going to hear the idea that he's already made these arrangements. They've got it ready for us. They've got it prepared for us. Just go and follow. Now, Here's how it begins. Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. So here's the city. They're up here in Bethphage, over here on this part of Mount of Olives. They're going to go into the city and meet a man with a jar, a jar of water. Now, several things about this jar of water with a man is, one, women did this. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? The women, that was their job of going off. Again, we don't want to be sexist and stuff like this. Uh, but, okay, I'm just going to go with it. Uh, it it's like, uh, you know, women, you know, they, they, they do the laundry. Women, they, they, do, they do the shopping. Men, they do the shingling. You know, men will drive the trucks. So if you see a man in an apron doing the laundry, it's like this is a unique setting in our culture, in my world. Now, in your world, in your world, you've got women marrying women. And so I don't even care about your modern world because it's completely unraveling. Uh, but nonetheless, in this world, the women, that was part of their job. They'd go down and get water for the family and bring it back to the house. Here's a man getting water, which is part of the clue. It's like when you see a man getting the water, carrying a water jug. Because you're someone carrying a water jug, everybody's carrying, especially today. Oh, we've got to get groceries. Hy-Vee's open, everybody's in line, can't get enough checkouts check or checkers or whatever. Uh, now, we know, yeah, you've got a map. Go to page four. Now, right here, you've got the Gion Springs right here. That's the source of water from the days of Melchizedek. Go to Genesis chapter 17. That's That's... That's the water source. Hezekiah, so there's water here. Hezekiah cut the tunnel and brought it over here on this side of the rock ridge, coming and feeding into the central valley to the pool of Siloam. So this is a source of water. This is a source of water. We know from the Nehemiah study, this is called the fountain gate right here. There's a gate because there was channels of water where the Gion Springs would feed down here, and there's also the king's pool right here 
and you'd go out the fountain gate to get water. And we know if we go down here a little bit further, that's Enrogel was a natural spring. Like this was a natural spring. Enrogel was here. We can move up here, and in this, this wall right here is the water gate that, that, that was there in Uzziah's day. Uh, it was there in Nehemiah's day. But it was there in 586 B.C. because we found the crushed water jars in the water gate right here. Somehow, there's a, a, possibly a cistern they haven't found yet here. But this was called the water gate. And it was called the water gate because they would go there to get water. Uh, that's why it was called water. And they found water jars there, a lot of them. And then, of course, over here, you got the Pool of Bethesda right here. Now, this is probably a no. It's too far north. Enrolgo is probably too far south. The Gion Springs is an option. The Watergate is an option. Uh, this spring right here, or the King's Pool uh, in this area, and going in the Fountain Gate is an option. I'm going to say, we don't know. But there's a man, with he's not just walking around with a jar of water. I mean, maybe he is. But he's probably going to get water and bring it back to some residence. That's a woman's job. Why is this man doing it? Some want to say that he's uh, one of the Essenes because the Essenes, you know, they, they got the Qumran community. They'd see, keep away from the women. They had their own little ma male communities of, of reli uh, religious order, and it could be an Essene. That's possible. You could run with that, but he's going to be leading them back to where Jesus is going to be having the meal in his, what we know is an upper room, a room up above someone's house, that's all prepared. It's probably got a stairway on the outside of the house to get in and so you don't bother the residents. Uh, the Essenes, you can do it. But I'm going to play it this way. I'm going to think this man, the reason he's carrying a water jar is he's a servant. He works for somebody. And he's going out to get water to bring it back to the house in preparation. So he's coming from this part of the city. Again, you understand, we got facts in the scripture and now I'm putting it into this map. And now this is speculation. Jesus is going to be in the wealthy part of the city, most likely, for this upper room last supper. The man is probably going to be going down here to the Pool of Siloam to get water. And that's, I've been there. You could be there. And in the steps, the going down, there's steps going down into the water, you know, long steps. And there's, there's holes cut out, like, so you could set your water jars down into it. You could stand up and then put water into it and then lift it up and carry it back. So this, it, was it was for collecting water. And so if you look on your map right here, that's on page 4, the Pool of Siloam is right here. Here's Bethany, Bethphage. They would have came over the Mount of Olives. They would have walked right here past uh, the water gate, which is right here, walked past the Gion Springs. They would have walked past... Uh, the fountain gate, which is somehow connected to the water coming from the Pool of Siloam also, probably. But they could have gone right into this gate right down here, the Pool of Siloam, and that when they would have went in, there's a man with a water jug because he's going back up to the house that Jesus is going to be having. And they follow him. When you see the man, so if they came in this gate right here, you see a man with a water jug, follow him. Uh, it may have been a prearranged meeting, wait until these guys get there, or it's going to be, you know, just follow the guy with the water jar, you know, some kind of a, you know, mystical miracle, you know, foreknown, foreknowledge. 
But if you turn the page, oh, look at the bottom of page four. Uh, just point one, I want to read this to you. Oh, I got to read that verse to you. Okay. First of all, like the preparation of entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Jesus demonstrates his preparedness, either natural or divine, probably both. His foreknowledge, either arranged or foreknown, uh, and his control of the situation, probably human planning, but also divinely ordained. So I think you've got both happening here. But Jesus is not just out of control. He's planning. He's got contacts. The point, Jesus is in control of these events that are about to transpire. Uh, Let's go back to page 4 and read that verse. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house. So you see a man with a jar. You come in one of these gates, apparently. I'm going to say this gate, down by the Pool of Siloam. You come in and you see a man with a water jug. Follow him. Why? He's going to someone's house. Whose house? The master of the house. Well, that makes a sense. Why is this man getting water? Because he's a servant for the master of the house. Go get some water. That's a woman's job. Are you getting mouthy with me, son? Or whatever. I, you know, it just, you, I, that was probably his job. He, go, he, he comes in. And watch this. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, and this is what they're supposed to say, Peter and John, you follow the man at the jar of water. The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So it would appear that he's already ordered the room, had Judas pay the bill, and the man says, I'll have something ready for you. So we'll arrive at this time, and they say, uh, the, but the, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? You can have some divine intervention there, a foreknowledge, but you can also have Jesus with his many disciples and Judas with the money bag getting these things all lined up. And Peter and John are now going to go prepare. Now, I've got this word in the square. The word is, in, in, you see it in the Greek right there, it's kind of small. It's kataluma. It means a lodging place or a guest room. So he says, where is the guest room uh, of me where the passover with my disciples we may eat so it's a guest room that he's paying for apparently or like i said the jews if they had an open room they'd offer it to other pilgrims coming in this is prearranged go to chapter 14 verse 15 page 5 and he it says and he the master of the house you're going to follow the servant with the water jar he'll take you to a house when you get to the house ask the master of the house the teacher is asking where his room's at, which room will he be using? Uh, it says, and he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. He'll know exactly what's going on because of divine intervention, possibly because Jesus got it arranged. He's paid the bill. He's got the receipt. He could have sent John and Peter with a receipt. Uh, here's the receipt. Where's the room? But it says what's interesting here, a large upper room. And when you talk about a large upper room, it'd be like you've got a house below. uh, And we could very quickly draw some kind of a house here. Do I want to erase my great map? Uh, You could have a house, a square house here, and an upper room like that. And you have a stairway going up the side. That's a side view of it. 
Or you could have this right here, and it, you'd have an open courtyard. This is open. And then you'd have rooms off this, your first floor. No different, you'd have your, your kitchen, although you do your cooking out here. You'd maybe do your dining in here. Here'd be a room here. You'd have another room over here, your library, maybe your sitting room. You'd have couches. And then there'd be another floor above that with, you know, like we said, Drew, before, the, t you know, the layers right here. And there'd be like another room on the second floor, just a large upper room up here. This would be open going all the way up to the sky. That's where they would cook. That's where they would sit. And then even then on the roof, see up here on the roof? You'd then come up here, and you'd sit on the roof, and you'd spend time on the roof, especially in the cooler day. There'd be a little railing going around it. And that was like a third. That was in the Middle East. That you can see. I mean, you can see it right there. I, I went and walked across Jerusalem through just the top of houses and stuff. We were just going across. Just, you can just, there's just places to go. You just walk. Just keep walking. And, of course, you can see there's people that got laundry up there. Some people got, like, TVs up there. There's their satellite dishes. Uh, and there, there's people just, there's chairs, you know, in rain season, they bring them in. If it's nice season, they just go up there and sit. Nonetheless, Jesus is going to be getting one of these rooms up here. Now, the, what is said right here is, is two things. In chapter 14, verse 15, I've got the word. Uh, it is having been furnished, translated from the Greek. It's in the text there. It's estromenon from the word stranuo, which means to spread. Uh, he says, and he will show you a large upper room spread and ready, having been spread. Now that it would refer to more than just furniture, because there's going to be furniture sitting there, tables, furniture, the natural, you know, the, the lamps and different things that you've got. But this has now been spread, and that refers to rugs, mats, there's going to be a low couch, you know, low, there'll be a, a low table. And these guys, when they would eat, again, it's completely strange to me, but they would recline. I mean, we would have everybody sitting at a table, you know, with chairs, you know, a big table. Uh, they would s sit in a circle and they'd be like leaning on like their left side and they'd be, re the food would be on a low table in the middle and they'd be leaning like this. And, you know, and everybody would be probably looking the same way. So if I talk to this guy, I'd look back here. If I want to talk to this guy, he'd have to turn around. I'd talk to this guy like this. And we'd, be, we'd look across the table, and you'd be eating with your right hand from the table like this, recline. That's why it's going to say uh, John describes himself as the one who leaned on Jesus during the Last Supper. He leaned on it. It's like, what? What, they were cuddling? What were they doing? No, he was like, anymore, you'd lean back, you'd talk to somebody. Like, you just, it was just a natural, it wasn't like, and yeah, they, I, uh, I ain't going to go there. But they have, and it's like, no, that's not the story. Okay, whatever. Okay, but it's interesting there. Uh, point one under chapter 14, verse 15, they'll be shown a large, this is described, a large room, an upper room, a furnished room, which is different than a room that is ready. The room that is ready is going to be spread out so it's going to have it's going to be furnished but it's also going to be someone's already prepared everything's ready except what the food and that's what john and peter are in charge of they're to go to the room ah it's all spread out for us it's all set up okay well we got to get some food and that's their job um and this goes on and says, point A, it was more than merely a furnished room. It was prepared for a banquet. Point B, the room had all the furnishing 
furnishings needed to eat a meal, table, cushions, couches, but the disciples had to prepare the food. In that room, the disciples were to prepare the meal for Jesus and his disciples. It would include unleavened bread, because that's the week of, they can't have leaven. They could not have leaven or yeast in their bread, because it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They're remembering rushing out of Egypt. Uh, wine would be there, and when we say wine, it's wine. It's alcoholic. Well, it's not grape juice. I mean, there's different depending on what your denomination is. It's it's wine. Uh, bitter herbs that would be for dipping the the bread, uh, sauce, and uh, the lamb, of course. And that would all be then. So that's what they've got to get. They've got to get the lamb to the temple, get it sacrificed, get it back, get it cooked, get all these things set up. And Peter and John are in charge of this. Um, point three, on the western hill of Jerusalem is where the wealthy citizens would live. And I've got, uh, where did I skip some stuff? Oh, yes, go back to page three. This is interesting. Um, I got off on this point, uh, point, page three, point two, women carried the water, that was normal. Point three, this man with the water jug would lead the two disciples to a house that had an available room it is likely this man was collecting water at, a, at some water source and bringing it to his resi- to a residence uh, i'm going to say he's a servant this pool of water could be the pool of siloam since it matches that part of the city and i give you those other listing of those other fountains or, or water reserves point c this man may have been a servant since he was carrying water and the house where jesus would eat was a large house that likely had servants and now that opens us up to an entire another conversation of whose house you do not have to accept this but it belonged to somebody and i'm going to present at least i'd present and and i have before that this house belonged to a guy named john mark john mark's mom Okay, John Mark's mom. Now, I'm not sure about John Mark's dad. Uh, It doesn't say anything about him. But we find out about this if you go to, and I've got it written down there for you, point E. Uh, And you're going to go to, no, 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 point D. Point D. Acts chapter 12. We're going to go to Acts chapter 12 and work back. Uh, It's 44 BC. This is 30 AD right here. Okay, we're going to jump up to uh, 41 to 44 A.D. And Herod Agrippa I is, in a sense, the king under the Roman. He's like, instead of having a governor or a proconsul, uh, he is is ruling uh, Judea, Jerusalem. Uh, And he, uh, he cuts John's brother's head off. James's head gets cut off, is executed. The Jews love it in 41-44 A.D. Uh, and so he thinks, this is great. I, I need to have my poll numbers go up. And if I arrest these Christians, no one likes them. They're against them. So he arrests Peter. With the intention of this time, I'm going to do it on the, on the holiday. Well, everybody's in town. We're going to kill him just like they killed Jesus. I'm going to do it so everyone can see it. And they're going to, my poll numbers... His, his committee, his group, his talking, his, his office staff, it's like, that. Yeah, this is the jump you need in the polls. You kill Peter on the Passover feast, everybody's going to be... Okay, so Peter's in prison waiting his execution. Now, he's asleep. 
the angel comes, gets him out of prison. You know, our little story. Uh, and Peter goes directly to John Mark's house. John Mark's house would have been right here. And you can see why we know it's over here on this rich part of the city. Uh, because when he knocks on the door, the whole church, the whole church is meeting. Now, again, uh, we've got people meeting in my house, but think like a big house with the whole church meeting, not just, you know, people coming for a Bible study. But everybody's in John Mark's house, the church, and they're all praying for Peter. And Peter now has been released. So Peter knocks on the door. And no one answers the door because they're all praying. But Rhoda, her name's in the Bible, the servant who's in charge of answering the door goes and opens the door. You remember the story? Opens the door. My gosh, they already killed him. It's his angel. Slams the door shut and runs back and goes, Peter's dead. His angel's at the door. And Peter's like, what kind of people are these? It's like, you know, this is you, Peter, just a few weeks ago with Jesus. And, and he goes, and finally he goes, he goes it's not, I'm, not, I'm not dead, it's me. And so they open the door up, and Peter comes in and tells them about this situation. That's what the verse right here. Chapter, or Acts chapter 12, it's point D on page 3. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Now guess who Mark this is? This is Mark, the one who traveled with Paul and Barnabas and came home from the first trip in Abana and came back home to mommy's house in Jerusalem because he got scared, he got offended, it didn't fit whatever they were doing on the mission field, going to these Gentile towns. This kid grew up here in the rich part of Jerusalem, and now he's up in Galatia going from city to city with Paul and Barnabas, and they're stoning him and killing him. There's malaria, and it's like, eh, eh, and I'm going home. And he abandoned him. Paul got mad. Barnabas, it's his cousin. Barnabas, who's also wealthy, he sold a field, gave it to the church. So this family's wealthy. Barnabas, his uncle, John Mark's mom's wealthy. Mark's coming from these people. Well, Mark's the one who's writing this book. He became a, he was a scribe. He was well-educated, well-trained. And it's like, I'm not a missionary, but I can write stuff down and write letters for you. And so he is writing the book of Mark. He traveled with Peter, and then he traveled with Paul and wrote some of Paul's stuff for him. So that's Mark. Now, if this is uh, 30 A.D., and then it's 40 A.D., and Paul's going out. John Mark uh, is going to be a, a teenager. I mean, he's, he's a young boy. Uh, he, say 14. I, I pick it. He, he's not 22. He's probably, you know, I'd say 13 to 18 years old. And you can, you can, you know, it doesn't say that. But John Mark is living in this house. Now, maybe not at the getting ready for the Last Supper, I think he is, but for sure in Acts chapter 12, he's living here because it's his mom's house, and Rhoda is working for them, in, she works in the house for John Mark's mom, the house. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, I'm sorry, I... I didn't say, I said, he not, I'm looking about my house. You knock on the door of the house or you ring the doorbell. He knocked on the gateway to get into the yard 
that leads you up to the front door. So he's outside the fence guarding, and we're in packed Jerusalem, and they've got a gateway around the yard with a house with a front door on it with many rooms in it. So we're talking, you know, it just adds a little bit to the story. Where many were gathered together and were praying, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And there's that whole story. Okay, that's Acts chapter 12. That's where the church is meeting at her house. Now we go back to Acts chapter 1 and 2, and the disciples, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 12, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. So days, within 50 days of this meal in this upper room, wherever it's at, the disciples are back in Jerusalem staying in the upper room at someone's house, which in Acts chapter 12, it's John Mark's mom's house. But here, I mean, it could be different houses, but it's possibly the same. And then that's Acts chapter 1. And then when the day of Pentecost arrived, Acts chapter 2, they were all together in one place, we're assuming up here, the upper room, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So, I think Mark 14, uh, Acts chapter 1 and 2, Acts chapter 12, it's all taking place in Mark's house, which is owned by his mom, maybe his dad's John Mark's house, with the servants and the upper, uh, disciples are in the upper room right here. And that's Mark who's going to be writing this. Now, this is, this is going to come up later again. I, I, what time we got, Dave? I got eight minutes? Oh, it's okay. I'm, I'm past day. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mar- eventually, when Jesus arrested the Garden of Gethsemane, it says there's a young man, a young boy, in the brushes watching. And when they saw him, they tried to grab him. They grabbed his cloak. And it's like, no. And he dropped his cloak and ran off naked. I'm not sure how naked he was, if he just had his undergarments on or if he's like stark naked, you know, streaking like the 70s. But. It, 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 this, this book of Mark talks about a young man who was in the brushes. Oh, they see me. They grabbed his cloak. He dropped it and ran back. Ah! Now, the reason he would have followed them out was they would have went down the stairs and they were up there talking and stuff. They sang a song and left and they probably went out this way over the Garden of Gethsemane. John Mark's like, what's going on? I don't know. But somebody was out there in the bushes watching what was going on and, it was, and he got scared and went running. It's a good chance, and it's recorded in the book of Mark. So it's a good chance uh, that was Mark talking about an adventure that he had as kind of like an eyewitness right there. Okay, uh, that's where we're at right here. And, you see, and he will show you in a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. They didn't set the room they prepared the meal. That's verse 16. And then chapter 14, verse 17, and when, the, when it was evening, he came with the 12. Jesus came with the 12, and we'll pick that up next week. And it says in verse 18, and they were reclining at the table and eating. Jesus says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me who is eating with me. So this, this chapter began with the betrayal. Jesus begins the, this conversation Mark does about the betrayal, and it's going to end with it. So that whole betrayal thing of all that Jesus is doing uh, is laced throughout this. Okay, I'll pray, and you're free to go. I appreciate you being here. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for the history. We thank you for the Word of God. We ask that we would 
understand these things, take them to heart, and allow them to shape our lives and shape our attitude towards our life, towards reality, and towards our service to you and preparation for the kingdom. We do, again, thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.